Hello, welcome. It's the 20th of October 2021. This is Radio Yes Cymru. I'm Sean Robbins. It's time for independence. Yes, 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 yes Cymru Radio. Yes. Yes. And on tonight's programme, we have a very interesting conversation coming up with Dr. Hugh Williams, who's a lecturer in political philosophy in Cardiff University, and he's one of the editors and authors of The Welsh Way, Essays on Neoliberalism and Devolution. Hugh, welcome to the programme. Stick with us. We'll be with you in a minute. Yes, 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 Cymru Radio. Radio Free Wales. Yes, yes, I'm joined by Dr. Hugh Williams, lecturer at Political Philosophy in Cardiff University. Hugh, welcome to Radio Yes Cymru, your first time. Yeah, very good. Well, first time for a long time, Sean. Oh, yeah, you were one of the first programmes we did from the National Institute in Cardiff in 2018. A lifetime ago. Uh, I forgot about that, but yeah, so welcome back. Uh, So the book, uh, it's uh, multi-authored. You're one of the authors um, with people like Daniel Evans, Kieran Smith, um, uh, and other writers, uh, Hugh Rees. Tell us, basically, uh, it's a book about the success, I and mean, dare I say, the failing so far of, of devolution. And you believe, if I can put words into your mouth, that the main failings of devolution is that it hasn't been radical enough, that it's followed the kind of the worldview of the neoliberalism, which emanates from Westminster. And because of that, West, the Welsh Senate hasn't really got to grips so with a lot of big problems facing Welsh society, like child poverty, uh, people unable to afford housing. Um, public transport and stuff like that. Yeah, that that about sums it up, Sean. As you say, it's um, edited by myself, uh, Don Evans and Kieran Smith, and we've brought together or around 25 different contributors from different walks of life in Wales to talk about, yeah, Wales as it is today, a sort of uh, state of the nation uh, publication, if you like. But as you mentioned, in many ways, there's a focus there on more perhaps the failings rather than the successes of devolution and an attempt really to try and understand that, to put it in a wider um, historical, economic, political context and examine you know, in in fine detail, some aspects of Welsh politics, Welsh society, and through doing that, try to bring it together and understand what the connections are and why it is that devolution hasn't really delivered in the way uh, that Welsh Labour and others promised uh, back at the end of the 20th century. And yeah, as you mentioned, what we try to argue and put forward is the idea that actually if we look at the problems in these different fields in these different policy areas we'll find a lot of consistencies and that can be related back to this system of neoliberalism which as you say emanates from london and which we live within in the united kingdom you know ideas values that really came into Welsh life through Thatcher in the 1980s and as much as we'd like to think that devolution would have allowed us to as it were stem that blue tide and uh, you know create uh, what's it the clear red water between Wales and England yeah the verdict of the book is that the evidence doesn't really stand up and that um, you know there's a lot of work to be done in terms of devolution to make good on that promise and also of course is an implicit within that perhaps questions about the amount that we can do when we have, of course, limited powers. Yeah, so I mean, the, the book is published by Parthians 10 quid, uh, and Michael Sheen has written a foreword as well. A very pro- provocative picture of uh, a plastic bag on the front 
with a big hole in it. And I think in a way, that's what you're trying to say is there's been some nice policies, the free, the, you know, five pence of plastic bags, the, the free prescriptions. And those are also good and well and bit and cosy and cushy and stuff. But it hasn't really got to, it hasn't been change, a big change for people's everyday life and their experiences of trying to get to work, trying to afford a house, uh, the uh, system, system in the NHS and stuff. So the problem is, you think is what that the Welsh government, which has been mostly a, a Labour Party government, has been too subservient to Westminster, and because of that, is too subservient to a sort of a neoliberalism worldview. Yeah, in a nutshell, and I suppose there is a, a productive tension, perhaps, in the book. Where, on the one hand, we want to point to the systemic issues here. We want to understand why it is that Wales, as part of the United Kingdom, faces, you know, some deep structural issues that are difficult to, to get to grips with and that in that context you know we can't perhaps be too harsh on um, the accomplishments of politicians in the senate because we're up against it because of those systemic issues but at the same time we can't then just as it were um, claim that our politicians have little responsibility and little capacity because actually, you know, a whole raft of powers came to us in 99 yeah. and there's been, you know, more powers since then. And so it's not as if we don't have agency. It's not as if we're not capable or don't have the levers for change in many of these fields. And, you know, in some respects, the book is about looking at these different policy areas, um, taking a, a fine tooth comb, as it were, to, to some... Um, to some policy areas or, or some specific fields and looking at what exactly has happened there and why it is we haven't perhaps accomplished what we've set out to accomplish and most importantly i suppose in terms of the direct critique of the labor party or welsh labor you know why we haven't delivered on the radical rhetoric that continues to be espoused uh, by that part you saw a lot of this recently with mark drakeford's appearance in the uk labor conference uh, this idea somehow that uh, mark drakeford represented a welsh labor that's done you know radical um, socialist egalitarian politics in wales We've got a question that, and I think anybody who'd read this reads this book would come away from it thinking, well, yeah, as you say, that um, that plastic bag with a big hole in it is sort of emblematic of Welsh politics. That there have been some, you know, positives. That there has been the odd policy that shows we can do things differently. But really, that's a sort of veneer um, on a form of politics that continues in many ways the politics that we inherited from Thatcher from the UK state. So, I mean, from, from the book and maybe from your experience, what are maybe two or three big issues, things that really affect people, which the Senate really hasn't sorted out, you think? And that's, that's basically down to this sort of blind belief in the unicorn unionism and you know, essentially accepting neoliberalism, which is essentially that you know, the, the private sector is better at running stuff uh, than the public sector, and then the public sector is a problem um and the private sector is always by definition better so what things do you think the senate hasn't really sorted out and would do you think they could uh with a more positive and more um confident worldview uh and change to make big changes to people's life yeah so as you say you know neoliberalism in a nutshell is the idea 
um, that the, the market rules, I suppose, and that we should put the individual and we should put um, profit uh, above all else in society and that the state in that sense is to be viewed somewhat skeptically. We don't want to see too much intervention. Uh, rather, what we want to see actually is the forces of the market, if you like, um, principles and ideas from the private sector coming into the public sector um, and that those forms of doing things, those ways of um, looking at you know, various policy um, fields, that's really what neoliberalism is all about. And I think you know, there's a couple of obvious examples where we could say, well, you know, Welsh Labour and those other uh, politicians that have been part of the coalitions in the last 20 years could have acted differently um, is in housing. You know, that's a big issue at the moment, obviously. What's interesting is we have seen some, as it were, developments in terms of the discourse around, um, you know, um, holiday homes in Western North Wales. Finally, there's been a shift to it. You know, we can discuss that in a grown-up and mature yeah. way, which is a positive sign. But if you look more broadly at how we've approached um, social housing, very few council houses have been... Um, rebuilt if you look at the ethos and the way in which a lot of these housing social housing enterprises work you can see in which the way in which actually a lot of uh, private sector sort of ideas have, have infiltrated though those institutions and all that yeah we would argue and there's an excellent um, chapter by Stephen Evans on this we'd argue that it's a sign that actually where we could have done something very different something more radical where you know the Welsh state, as it were, could have intervened in a more far-reaching manner. Rather, we have sort of, as it were, played around at the edges and developed something that is, you know, different to England, but not really something that distinguishes us from a big way and in a form that would actually change people's lives. So it's that kind of argument that you see in a lot of these chapters. And there's other themes there, um, you know, policing, um, well, prisons is another another big one. There's a really interesting discussion of the Future Generations Act and everything that hasn't hadn't happened around that. And that's a good example, I think, again, of something that has a potential to, you know, make a difference to people's lives but because of the underlying political culture that we have in wales it hasn't really borne fruit in in the ways that it possibly could you know that's a piece of legislation that has had the eyes of the world upon it as it were to quote uh, one academic from australia um, but <laughs> i'm not sure for how long the eyes of the world are going to be on wales unless we actually make good on the promise of um yeah legislation of that nature so, I mean, you, you would expect me to say this as you know, former chair of Yes Cymru. For me, the problem here, and you compare it with the SNP in Scotland, is that the lack of nationalism, if I can use that word, or, you know, a, a, a political philosophy which just doesn't trust Westminster at all mm -hmm. uh, and doesn't sort of then start with the, the worldview that Westminster is by either, you know, good uh, or better or that, you know, it's, there's some kind of benign, a good Westminster to be had. Uh, that you know, and because I don't have that world view, I just, uh, I, I just don't understand why things I just haven't happened differently. So it's a problem, not so much um, left or right, but rather one of identity, which we've had politicians in and civil servants in Cardiff Bay from the start, whose identification has been so strongly with the British state and by implication Westminster that they've been able to unable to liberate themselves to have the confidence in their own beliefs if they had those beliefs in just doing stuff differently. And that maybe is a bigger difference 
uh, the one of identity mm. underpinning political thought that rather than left or the old left or right. Yeah, I think um, it's an astute point, really, and it is something that one has to factor in as a major issue. I mean, just to think about the Labour Party in this context, one might argue that part of the argument, as it were, the way putting forward in this book is related to that very issue where Welsh Labour, although we talked about, you know, clear red water um, and uh, Roddy Morgan's leadership in particular was unable, really, one could suggest, to really um, define itself in a different way to new Labour, which, to all intents and purposes, um, inherited and maintained a lot of these uh, neoliberal ideas and beliefs that we talk about you know the new labor idea was well we'll just manage the economy a bit better and we'll redistribute it a bit more uh, but they were happy for you know as mandelson said for people to get f- filthy rich and and so you know in that particular context you can see that point that you're making at work where actually despite the rhetoric and the attempt perhaps to forge something different yeah. that is very difficult to do so not just practically speaking but you know psychologically uh, as well and the question of independence which is one of the only parts of the book where we directly address the question you know one of the hypotheses i put forward there actually is that welsh labor has a very sort of um yeah difficult relationship with the question not just of independence but greater powers actually and part of that i would argue as you've pointed out is to do with that connection with the the uk party um perhaps the lack if you like of a real independent form of welsh labor politics and that you know that's connected also i think to neoliberalism in some ways because neoliberalism as i mentioned at the start is really a form of politics that wants to push the you know push the state back as it were and so it really goes against the tendency to create a really um you know a confident uh, muscular if you like politics where there are firm beliefs and firm ideas and firm ambitions so yeah i'd agree with the point that you're, you're making that it's you know a fundamental and important part of um wales's i guess story over the last 20 25 years you're listening to me sean jobin talking to dr here williams who's a lecturer in political philosophy in cardiff university uh, we're discussing a uh, new paperback, uh, The Welsh Way, Essays on Neoliberalism and Devolution, which Hugh was one of the contributors to. Is it compatible, this is going on a tangent a bit, Hugh, mm-hmm. for a small country and a unique culture and language like Welsh to be totally neoliberal? I mean, I, I, yeah. I, any country can be you know, left or right or wing. I mean, you've got Estonia or whatever, which is, you know, has had low tax economy, that kind of stuff, and you know, they've also fought for the, the language. Um, but I mean, there's so much neoliberalism also just sort of presupposes that the state doesn't do much. And for a small country, that's quite dangerous territory, I would suggest, because it means you're effectively giving up your sovereignty entirely to corporations who are very often maybe have a, an income uh, which isn't much less than the state uh, budget, which you, which you have <laughs> a country like Wales. Yeah. So, I mean... I think a lot of people may be looking, and they're not too fussed maybe by the the, 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 the names, the liberalism or whatever. Yeah. But I think in, especially from a speaking point of view, there is a big danger if we if the state doesn't intervene, because then, you know, nothing is basically uh, compatible in, in a Welsh state, because everything could be cheapened and better if it's through English or through an outside yeah. body. Yeah, there's a lot of interesting points there. I could go in several directions. I, I think the first point is that, you know, one of the themes in the book that's looked at is the relationship between Wales, the Welsh economy 
and investment from outside and the ways in which actually to a large extent Welsh Government has sort of bent over backwards to bring in multinationals that have often not hung around if they've even actually established themselves at all here Uh, and so as you say there are big questions big reasons to question you know how helpful uh, a sort of more laissez-faire neoliberal approach to uh, the economy is in in a society like wales and actually we need to probably look far more at how it is we can create wealth and um, create uh, businesses um, and you know cooperatives within our own communities and maintain that you know the wealth within our society and also build up um, uh, communities in in that way so that's a, an important part of uh, of the um, equation if you like there's other aspects of this as well i think um, important you know to be sort of um, opposed to neoliberalism doesn't necessarily mean you have to be a marxist you know yeah. neoliberalism is one form of uh, free market economics tied to a particular set of very individualistic values well actually there's a lot of conservative thinkers and i'd argue the welsh conservative tradition that you know would also want to reject these uh, these ideas and if you look at the welsh you know nationalist tradition you look back at figures like saunders lewis or even gwynvor evans to an extent you know they were not socialists they were probably anti-socialists but they certainly weren't capitalists and they wouldn't have been neoliberal liberals either they would have been looking at other ways in which we can you know reform and develop our uh, our society so you know Obviously, from the perspective of us as editors and a lot of the contributors, we are articulating and trying to show how neoliberalism as a part of the wider British global system is problematic for Wales. But as much as we would perhaps go in a certain direction, and a lot of the authors try to do that, you know, they suggest different policies, different ways that we can actually build a better Wales as we are now. What I would also hope is perhaps it would open up debate on all sides of the political spectrum where we at least identify, as you say, neoliberalism as a problem for most people and most communities in Wales, especially, you know, the ones in the West and the North that are rural and, you know, face all these challenges to do with the local economy, keeping young people there, housing and so forth. And of course, the answers don't have to be uniform, but at least if we recognise the problem as it is, that's a good basis upon which we can move forward and actually have a conversation on Welsh terms and, you know, conversations that make sense around our ideas, our beliefs, our history and tradition. And, you know, I would want to ally myself with somebody like Simon Brooks in this, in this context, who obviously comes from a very different ideological perspective, but we would definitely very much agree around the need to, you know, think about things on Welsh terms, understand uh, our problems and think about solutions in language, in terms, in ideas that are relevant to us and are not always imported. That's not to say that all ideas from outside are problematic, but we need to think for ourselves, don't we? No, and I think, I mean, you know, if you look at France, which is still a very strong state, uh, or even Germany and Merkel, you know, there are things there which which they would disagree with neoliberalism as people on the right. So, I mean, it's not necessarily something to do with, um, always with, with left and right, it's to do with, with the role people think a state has, or what's more important, a community or, or a business, isn't it, or a large business in, in most cases. And I think you know, if, if, if the Welsh state isn't, if the Welsh state is actually doing stuff, 
<laughs> and the Welsh state isn't strong. And then what's the point of having a Welsh state, isn't it? You know, we yeah. may as well not bother. So that's, that's what I kind of feel. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, community versus individual, perhaps. Uh, you know, mm. we need to be uh, perhaps a bit careful about using the terms business here because businesses yeah, yeah. are all very different, aren't they? And I yeah, yeah. don't want to, um, you know, uh, come off as somebody who wants to bash businesses. A whole lot of businesses that do really good work and actually, you know, do have values that are very much you know, connected to community and locality and, you know, ideas of, of social justice and so forth. But certainly some of these beliefs and ideas and the policies that issue from them and, you know, multinationals that are connected or take advantage of that system, you know, are deeply problematic for, for Wales. And I think you'd have to, you know, you'd find agreement across the political spectrum on that. On that yeah, and especially yeah. those multinationals that do have budgets which are, pretty close to what uh, the Welsh government can actually spend. So, I mean, we need yeah. to have a strong Welsh state to be able to give, at least give us the chance or the opportunity to choose what kind of model is best for us. Um, you've touched on, on on housing, which is important. You know, jails, the problem with prisons is, you know, we don't run our own judiciary system in Wales. We don't even run our own policing system. So this is, again, a, a big failure of, of devolution and why devolution just doesn't work. I mean, are there any other issues i mean looking at something like health health which we could have done differently i mean basically half the the budget of the welsh government is spent on health nhs that be, that's because of course we don't spend on things like pensions and uh, armed forces and stuff so that it's always going to be a bigger cut it doesn't mean it's necessarily mm. more money but what what where's neoliberalism popping its head there because obviously you know nhs now has been in the welsh government rule for 20 years so this shouldn't be any problem shouldn't it no, they shouldn't be any problems at all. No, you know, I don't for one minute want to um, suggest that uh, politics is not difficult and that, yeah. you know, uh, running a system like the NHS is not going to face face issues. But there's, um, you know, other chapters, uh, one by Georgia Bedette in the, in, in the book as well, that looks at our health service. And, you know, in some respects, some of the ideas and criticisms in the book pick up on or articulate ideas that are already in the you know the public sphere if you like in a part of the debate um, we've long heard about the need haven't we for um, combining healthcare and social care in in a more sort of um, systematic fashion and you know one of the questions would be well why do these things why have it why is it taken so long uh, and what is it that's um, stopped us from making these bold moves um, uh, and again you know We'd got. We'd have to come back. I think to the general prevailing uh, political culture in Wales um, that we have perhaps been cautious, and not just perhaps because of the prevailing neoliberal uh, winds, but also other aspects. It's a new democracy where we don't perhaps have uh, the civil service um, that. Um, it was robust enough uh, mm. to, to move things forward. Um, there's questions about capacity there. But then, all, once again, all that relates back to um, our willingness, if you like, to push the envelope and for the Senate and politicians there to, you know, be demanding more, to be looking for more power. And, of course, last point perhaps for me is that, you know, it's not just obviously about hard and fast policies and legislation. Politics is also a rhetorical game, isn't it, as, as well? And one thinks about the conversation or the tone and the response from the Senedd and also councils in Wales to what has 
happened in, San, in, in Westminster and the politics that issues from that part of the, the UK. And one can ask, well, have we really been robust enough in terms of that rhetoric and the way in which we've played that game? Because that's such a fundamental part of politics. And you look at you know the nature of the discourse up in Scotland and one could say that it's been much more robust and it's you know challenged, I think, um, the, the prevailing hegemony that uh, has been established in, in the UK. So, yeah, it can work on a number of different levels as well. Well, just to wrap up with you, um, yesterday it was announced that um, the the Constitutional Commission, which the Welsh Government has set up, is going to consider independence. It's not too sh- clear to us how that cre- creature looks like. I mean, is it actually going to promote it or just discuss it as a, oh, yeah, and, and finally item on the nine o'clock news as it was before? Um, what's your take on this? Is this something we should welcome? Is it a trap for people who want independence? Is it something just a, a sop to keep us quiet? Or is it something which is worth engaging in? Well, from my perspective, I think it is significant that we have uh, two chairs of such uh, quality and uh, distinction. And, you know, it would suggest to me that this is something not only uh, acolytes of Welsh independence should take seriously. I think it's obviously something that the Labour Party itself is taking seriously as well. And, you know, reading between the lines, I think there's maybe one or two reasons we can suppose that this is happening and that it is, you know, a serious business, as it were. I think, you know, naturally, uh, part of the debate and part of what's happening at the moment is uh, an attempt to understand developments in other parts of the UK. And it's, you know, a very real possibility that Scotland may go its own way. We've got the reunification of Ireland and there's going to be lots of, I would think, members of the Welsh Labour Party government who themselves would not want to end up in uh, a rump UK of England and Wales. So just in that context and thinking ahead, it would make sense from a Labour point of view to have a commission which thinks these matters through in a you know systematic and serious way because there may be answers further down the road that um, they really need. Uh, and more generally, in terms of, you know, Yes Cymru followers and, and members and the wider sort of independence movement, this is a real opportunity, obviously, to start those conversations um, to ensure that what is beginning as a perhaps theoretical discussion becomes, as it were, uh, a much more prominent um, reality in Wales. You know, that independence is actually a genuine alternative. So I think it's a a really big um, and important opportunity. And, you know, relating to the last point I made, perhaps Mark Rakeford and some of the Labour government are beginning to see that actually having a healthy, strong independence movement is, you know, a natural and good thing for a small nation like Wales. And even if you don't want to, you know, go the whole hog and establish an independent Wales, it's certainly a very important bargaining chip in terms of our, you know, friends and neighbours down the road in in the imperial capital, as it were. <laughs> well, on that note, uh, I'll, I'll finish this conversation. Uh, lovely to speak to you again, Dr. Hugh Williams, lecturer in political philosophy at Cardiff University, uh, all-round good guy. Uh, done a lot of good work as well. The book, I think, is very important. Lots of good stuff there. Lots of things we need to discuss. Uh, independence is a vehicle for change. I think it's also a vehicle for having new ideas as well. And this book uh, improves on that and gives us food of thought. Hey, we'll speak again, I'm sure, hopefully in less than three years' time. Uh, until then, take care. Take care. Yes. Yes. Yes, Yes, Radio. Yes. Independent news and views. An independent nation. Yes. On today's programme, we have Robert Idris and Catherine O'Neill, 
two people who are passionate about a very, very important subject, housing, or the lack of, for people, especially young people, here in Wales. So, Catherine, we'll kick off with you. You live in Aberdavi, which is a beautiful village in Merionid, and, yeah, that's the problem, isn't it, Catherine? Tell us about the situation, about housing, and you got involved with a charter with other people to try and get housing sorted out by the Welsh Government. Yeah, I mean, bless her, Abadavi. She's a victim of her own own success. Um, my brother, who, uh, he cracks me up, he, he compared Abadavi, bless her, to um, a beauty queen that's turned into a crack whore, which I thought was quite harsh, but actually... Abu Dhabi's been hollowed out. Um, there's over 60% of the buildings in the village now are either second homes or are rented out for holidays. Uh, most local people have been priced out. Um, we've recently lost our primary school, uh, which now has affordable housing built on the site. And there are around, I've lost count um, precisely, there are around 10 primary school aged children in the village now. Well, my mum was in school in the 1950s. There were two primary schools with over 100 children. Um, and that's how much our community has changed. And we've been very lucky. We've managed to buy a, a little small holding off a family member. But it's not in Abu Dhabi. It's on the other side of the mountain. Um, and our little place would cost three or four times the price on the Abu Dhabi side. Uh, my little boy is the fifth generation of our family um, to kind of live in the village. And now the only time he gets to wake up in the morning and see the beautiful River Dovey is when we stay with Nine and Tide. We're nearly out of Welsh speakers. Uh, there are a few locals and there are lots of learners, which is great. And of course the children speak Welsh, but apart from that, the Welsh has pretty much disappeared. And everyone keeps going on about, oh, build more houses, 20,000 more houses. Yeah, great. Well, where are you going to build them in Abu Dhabi? We're, we're we're between the sea and the mountains. Our last patch of land was our primary school. There's nowhere to build any more houses in Abu Dhabi. Um, but in, I used to sit and cry about this a lot, believe you and me. Um, but over the year, last year and a half, I've met the, the Housing Justice Charter group. And I tell you, it's been like therapy for me. Um, we've taken our heartbreak, our sadness, our grief, and we've worked together with people from all over Wales, from um, things like Cymdeithasuriaeth and Plaid, to our Senedd members, to councillors, to grassroots campaigners. And we've created this positive charter. We, you know, we're not going to sit around and cry about this anymore. We're going to work with the government, whether they like it or not. And we're going to create positive change. And, and it's possible to do. And things are already happening because of what we've helped pull together um it's and it's got to be about positivity we're working with the um well-being future generations um people as well and and i think we really can make a difference but our main focus at the moment is to get ten thousand signatures on our senate petition uh, which is about protecting the people of wales um we need this debated in the charter we need the support of yes cymru um, and its members, because let's not get 10,000 signatures, let's get 20,000 signatures and go to the Senedd and say, come on, we're on our knees, our communities are on our knees here. We need you to act now, not in six months or two years, because our communities are dying now. Yeah, and we don't need another commission, and we don't need another pilot group either. And I mean, I think it's more important for people, for people to understand, this is an existential crisis in terms of the Welsh language, isn't it? So there's an added 
thing of you know, people having difficulty finding homes or affording rent or living close to access to, to work. Um, but there's an existential crisis where you feel, you know, your own culture and language is sort of going through your fingers. And that's something which is unique. And I don't think we should shy away of just saying that. This isn't something to be embarrassed about. This isn't something we should pretend isn't happening. This is happening. And, you know, it really angers me when I hear people on the left in Britain getting very upset about things happening to other countries across the world, but, you know, totally blasé, if not totally um, aggressive against uh, people in ways when we have similar, not the same, but similar concerns in terms of the loss of our language and culture. And maybe this is a big difference I'll come to in a minute, Robert. You know, there's a housing crisis across Wales, but it manifests itself differently. So maybe in the West you have issues, especially with the, with the language, as, it, as it's the added uh, stress of uh, what is an economic and social problem, and then your school's closing, whereas in other parts of Wales maybe school numbers are going up because people are moving in. So there's a pressure in terms of people moving in and that's affecting the house pricing. But there is a big problem, which is maybe the, the, the link which joins everyone, is the issue of rent, isn't it? So people unable to either buy the house to begin with or that the rents have grown so high that it's, that's becoming an option which isn't even available for a lot of people. So with the work you've done with the Charter, Robert, you know, you, you've looked at other countries. Are there any things which Wales could be doing, the Senate could be doing now? Heaven's sake, they have control of complete control of housing for 20 years. And it's only not been sorted out because civil servants in the Welsh government and Welsh government ministers themselves have been chickened out and they refuse to do something serious. They talk about clear red line water between Wales and England. When it comes to housing, there's very little red water. It's pretty much uh, exactly uh, as as would happen, and the city of London would be very happy with. So, are there places we could be looking at, Robert, which Wales could be learning from, and not learning, just implementing stuff? There, there are plenty of examples from other places in Europe, and even in the wealthiest place in the world, in Manhattan, in New York, apparently, where they have introduced controls on things like Airbnb. You can look at Barcelona, Norway. You can look at areas in England, even. I think what's interesting, uh, and it's a point that's only struck me, is that why is it that the, those people have been able to get change to happen, but we haven't here? Could it be because the wealthy people there are finding even wealthier people tending to squeeze them out? Whereas in Wales, most people are not wealthy at all, and they're not used to having their voices heard, and they're used to being ignored, you know? So. It is a, 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 a crisis which has been in the making for decades, really. It manifests itself in different ways at different times. And as you pointed out, it's two sides of the same coin, uh, that you have uh, rural issues uh, where local people can't afford to buy their own houses, can't get jobs uh, priced out of their own areas. But we have major terrible issues of homelessness and lack of affordable housing uh, in cities like Cardiff, Newport, Wrexham, etc. So really, we, we, we must be careful not to divide town and city on this one. It, it is really part of the same issue, isn't it? And essentially what we're seeing, and that's, if you like, you, you alluded to a talk you had with Hugh Williams on the Welsh way, what we're talking about is a government which essentially is a conduit uh, for finance and big business to have their way in all sorts of areas of life in Wales but specifically tonight we're discussing housing so in effect 
houses are seen as a way of creating wealth rather than being homes for people and, this, and the necessity of life, aren't they? Yes, and, and, and unfortunately, you know, to some extent, housing is seen as a way for wealth because they actually are, because working doesn't pay, you know, or doesn't pay as well, I keep, or saving money doesn't pay. So you can't blame the individual, but I mean, the system has to change. And say, if Norway and Switzerland and you know, Berlin, I think I discussed in rate cap, uh, rent cap rather, Manhattan, you know, the Channel Islands, uh, the Lake District up in England, you know, these places are looking at this. Why the hell is a Welsh government in 20 years done nothing? It's absolutely disgraceful. They're cowards. What you have is a government which has not been which has not been seriously challenged for 20 years, hasn't it? There was only one brief period when they were in coalition. So essentially you have a managerialist government which tinkers around the edges of everything, making sure that the boat isn't unduly rocked against vested interest. Because, let's face it, if, you, if you're confident that you're going to win an election, why would you do something that might, that might upset some people? Exactly. And, and let me put this out clearly in big writing and not joined up writing you know the people buying holly homes who settle down there are not going to vote labor in the future so you know you are going to lose votes so we've seen how uh, the parts of wales or the parts of uh, england have been gentrified by um the power of money i mean so if the labor party uh, senate members think you know they can just brush it off you know pembrokeshire you know is is you know is not going to go turn red if the people buying houses there are very wealthy people and have a vested interest and you know for and can't blame them for not wanting change. So I mean, the Labour Party in Wales needs to step up to the plate. Also, if the Welsh government isn't doing anything or the Senate isn't doing something, then people ask, what the hell is the point of having it? You know, so it's time the Senate and this is something again alluded in your in the book you contribute to, uh, Robert the Welsh way. If the Senate isn't doing stuff differently then there's no point having it. There's literally no point having it. So if there are any Senate members listening to this, you know, doing the same as England isn't playing safe. It's actually a dangerous path because people soon later will say, what's the point? Uh, and not only will that be an existential threat to the Welsh language communities, but also ultimately uh, for, I think, Labour voting communities as well, because they will, they will be priced out of their own uh, communities. Catherine, you've got a song uh, on the subject. Um, do you want to say a few words about that? Yeah, well, this is something that has grown out of the Charter. I mean, for me as a musician, and I'm not a, a politician or a lawyer or anything like that, I'm actually just a musician um, who's been forced into campaigning on this because of the state of my village and, and really the, the death of my village because losing our primary school was the nail in the coffin for us. We've lost so many families because of that and we've lost the centre of our community because of that. So, you know, like I said before, this was something that we had a, a sense of grief about, um, that we've been so depressed about. But out of campaigning and working with such amazing people to create the Charter, um, well, Robert turned round to me one day, he's, he's a bit of a bard, is Robert, um, and said, look, I've got some words, would you like them? And, and they're incredible words, they're incredibly passionate and poignant. Um, so finally after having writer's block for about a year I get given the gift of these incredible words and we, we've turned them into a song and um and it is the story um of an elderly couple on the on the tethin on the small holding whose children have moved away and I've done it I had to move away I I uh, traveled the world I lived in England I lived 
near Cardiff. I live, finally lived near Brecon and eventually the only way I was able to come home was when I was able to buy um, a little uh, small holding off my family with the help of my family because there was no way I could get a mortgage um, being a musician. And this is what happens in the song that these these old people's uh, children, they've had to move away. There's nobody there to help them with the turn You know, they're scraping by on pensions and things. And and that's what the song is about. But it's it's a song. Uh, the middle eight of the song is a really positive part. Um, it talks about the wave, the flood that we're experiencing at the moment, and how Wales, Welsh people, and not just people in Wales, actually people in all parts like Cornwall. My husband's from Norfolk. It's exactly the same there. We're all feel like we're drowning at the moment. Um, and nobody can say I'm anti-English, I'm not, because I've married a Norfolk man, because people chuck that in my face and say I'm anti, anti-English, anti I'm not at all. Because um, we're ex- that's been, this is being experienced everywhere. But in the song, we talk about the fact that we feel like we're drowning now, but actually with things like the possibility of independence, with things like hopefully the Senate taking action on these issues, there is hope for us to save our communities, to save our language, for our children to have a future within our own communities. And it's like we are bursting from un- from beneath this water and we are going to take a deep breath and we know we're going to survive. So although it's a sad and poignant song, it's a song to pull us together and to lift our hearts because we know we will get through this because the, there's the um, not getting through it isn't an option, is it? We have to continue. No. We can't just curl up and die. And, and the thing, other thing is as well, you know, I come from a village where there is an awful lot of tourism that, you know, it's, it's completely out of balance. And, and I want people to know, I mean, I'm on the village council. Um, it's not a case of being anti anybody. It's a case of having balance in our communities. It's a case of, yes, we welcome people to Abdo for generations. We're happy and proud to share our beautiful village with tourists, but there needs to be balance. It needs to be done sustainably in a way that works for our community as well as the holiday makers. We're nice people and we, you know. <laughs> so Robert, we have the, the charter. You want people to sign the charter, to go to the centre, to be discussed and policies implemented. What sort of two or three things would you like to see the Welsh Government uh, do now, which they can actually do as well with the powers we have in Wales? I would immediately say to them, bring in controls on Airbnb. Look at how many uh, properties in a given area are should be allowed to become holiday accommodation. Have a moratorium on second houses. Look at things like rents, affordable rents. Bring empty houses uh, into public ownership and make them suitable for people to live in. And also I would say to people are listening, you know, support uh, the housing just the charter support any event you can go to for example this Saturday Cymdeithasariaeth have a uh, rally in uh, Newport Pembrokeshire at one o'clock we have a speaker there present as well to support them so you know increasing the pressure on Welsh Government will hopefully bear fruit in the end Welsh Government are able to do much more than they are doing at, mom- at the moment and while if you like the Nero in Cardiff Bay is fiddling you know the whole of Wales is burning unfortunately and then Katja, you know, something you wanted to raise as well. Yeah, and it's a complete no-brainer. So um, councils like Gwynedd and now Pembrokeshire and now um, Sirwan, they are increasing the um, council tax level on second homes. 
Why, oh why, will the Senate not close the business rates loophole that allows holiday home owners to turn their holiday homes into businesses? They don't need planning permission for it. They can just flip them like that. And I know, for example, Gwyneth has lost millions of pounds because when they bought in um, the change in the council tax rate, so many holiday homeowners, second homeowners, turned their, their holiday homes into supposed businesses. Well, they only have to, I think they have to advertise them 140 days a year and rent them out 70 days a year. That's not a business. That's, that's just yeah. tax evasion. <laughs> and surely these people that supposedly love our community so much. And don't get me wrong, I've got friends with holiday homes. And they've had, their families have had them for generations. They are parts of our community. But other holiday accommodation and holiday home owners, they're just scraping cream off the top of our communities. It's ex extractive. Surely if they care about our communities, they would want to pay their dues and ensure that there's people living in the village to pour their pints and um, clean their holiday homes because yeah. there's going to be none left at this rate. No, exactly. And that's something the Welsh government could do and they should be doing. And the time for excuses and commissions and pilot projects or something is well, well past. Um, this needs to happen now. We're going to change the subject and finish the conversation uh, and discuss the recently announced Constitutional Commission, uh, which will uh, deliberate on independence. Uh, Catherine O'Neill, Robert, is this a con? Is it a trick to keep Yes Cymru quiet or happy? Or is this a genuine thing? Is something which we should take seriously? What should sort of Yes Cymru people be thinking about this, do you think? Start with you, Robert. Well, I think if setting up commissions was a, an Olympic sport, Wales would be gold medalists every time, wouldn't it? They really. Uh, um, but uh, to be slightly more serious and less facetious for once in my life, um, ultimately, unless London are willing to listen to whatever comes out of the p commission, then it is merely a paper exercise. The second point I would make is that uh, Welsh Labour have done this because they perceive that the United Kingdom is not an United Kingdom, it is disunited. They perceive that there's a possibility that Scotland may go independent. They perceive that there is a possibility that Ireland may, depends on how things pan out, be moving in the direction of being united at last, in which case they will be, as it were, a rump <laughs> of the United Kingdom attached to um, the, the big boy next door. So it, they also perceive that they don't want to go down the same path as what happened to Scottish Labour, uh, which is oblivion. Um, so in many ways, though it appears on the surface that and the commissioners themselves have said they're open to, you know, considering our options, including independence, clearly it's something that people had to engage with. Um, but there is the, the the possibility of becoming bogged down, as I know, as a veteran campaigner against nuclear. You know, you can respond to uh, consultation after consultation after consultation, and it depends which questions are asked, what answers you get. I think the further point to make about this is that there is a democratic deficit in Wales in terms of public information or lack of information about relevant points not just about independence, but the, but, but the whole political system. You know, why is it that some issues are marginalised? Why are some ignored? Why is, why is greater importance given, if you like, to the wishes of multinationals than it is to ordinary people? 
and all of these things um, the people's opinions are shaped largely by the media which are owned by big corporations aren't they whether the, it's in the form of traditional newspapers or online newspapers if you like or whether it's you know um, on the TV whether it's manipulation of social media the message is UK centric and specifically London centric isn't it really so in that respect you would almost say there has to be an education process before you can have a meaningful dialogue with many people because because we live in the world of sound bites and lack if you like of a will to look a bit further than the obvious answer then people will just dismiss things out of hand won't they really um essentially as the latest historian Gwyn Alf kept on saying Wales has to reinvent itself all, all the time because it lurches from one crisis to another we need to reinvent ourselves don't we really we need to see well can we really fulfill our potential as an appendix of the United Kingdom because England itself is let down in many ways by the United Kingdom as it stands down now. We only had to look at the industrial desolation in the north of England. You know, th those are examples. We only have to look at the hopelessness of the inner cities uh, in England, at the way so many people of colour, etc., are marginalised. These are major, major issues for the United Kingdom, which the political elites pay lip service to, but in fact, we have major structural issues. So in the same way in Wales, if the public discourse isn't informed by proper facts, then any commission is going to give you the results uh, that the government wants. Yeah, and that's the important, uh, importance of having a mass movement like Yes Cymru uh, to galvanise and to change, turn the tank around. So I think the work done by Yes Cymru members and supporters last few years has started to turn the tank around. I think a lot of people in the government, in the Welsh government and the Labour Party movement to start in, to stop believing their own propaganda, that independence, some kind of bad nationalism, but rather it's more to do with a vehicle for change, uh, where we in Wales would have our own car, our own car keys, we can drive where we want, when we want and the direction we want, uh, not hope sometimes to have the keys to a Rolls Royce, which we probably never get and which we can't decide how to drive. Uh, Catherine, I mean, what's your take on the commission? Is it worth taking? Is it serious? Is it something we should do? What should we do with it? How should we react to it? Well, to be honest, I never thought I would see this even being discussed in my lifetime. I mean, when I was in my early 20s, Welsh independence, yeah, right, what planet are you on? But um, I don't know how serious they are about it. I'm certainly happy to see it getting discussed. I absolutely think their hand is being forced because, you know, Scotland's off um, and Northern Ireland are probably going to follow. Do we really, really want to be the West of England? Because that's what will happen if we get lumped in with England. And um, I think even Labour now are starting to realise that that is not a healthy situation for anyone. I hope they're serious about it. Like you say, it could possibly just be done to to put Yes Cymru members, you know, to get them to shut up. Um, I hope not. I hope that they will use this as a meaningful discussion to look at this incredible country that we have, to a wealth of natural resources. You know, we're, we're the fifth um, highest exporter of renewable energy in the world yep. last year. And we haven't even got started. We've got tidal. We've got hydro. We've got we've got we've got talent. We've got creative talent. We've got scientists. We've got brains. Um, if we can just pull together as a country and not not 
you know, bicker amongst ourselves, which we all know we're very good at. Um, we could be an incredible progressive country. We can we can run ourselves. We've got the talent. And I just hope hope the Welsh government see that and are not like you say just play, paying lip service. But we do have some amazing people in the Senate. People like Mabon Apgwynfod, who I'm proud proud to say is is our Senate member. You know we've got some amazing people in the Senate. Um, and I really hope that, yeah, they take this opportunity and really consider independence because it could be incredible for us and for our children. Uh, amen to that. Certainly, I think you're right. I think it's time for believing in the unicorn unionism, which uh, some people in the Labour and the left movement still think, believe some 1945 is going to happen again. It's, just, it's not going to happen, boys. You know, smell the coffee. Uh, we can do a lot of good things in Wales uh, and a lot of good things the Senate can do now, certainly in housing, just sorted out you know stop faffing about there's things we need people are desperate now uh, not just in Pentlin and Mirione and Abu Dhabi but also in other parts of Wales where there are different issues but a lot comes down to lack of housing and affordable housing and the things which can be done by the Welsh government to have con complete control of our housing except for you know the sales of housing but still all control and they need to start implemented those changes not uh waiting for something else to happen can i just add sorry sean yes one last thing if there is anybody in the senate listening to this i i just want to say to you please we are on our knees our community is on our knees and if you give if you care about us at all please do something now don't wait yeah and what's the point uh being upset that we're losing young people and they're doing nothing about housing and as i say even just losing money in terms of you know uh, people able to flip flip a second home into a business uh, very easily uh, these are just basic things it's, and i guess Katrin, if we didn't have its own different language uh, and we were just a part of england we, these would have been sorted out by uh, long ago i think part of the reason is people think it's sort of tied into some uh, nasty stuff when it isn't right we're going to wrap up there uh, robert is just uh, Catherine uh, O'Neill, thanks a lot for your time uh, talking to us here on Radio Yes Cymru. I'm sure we'll speak to you again. It'd be good to find out what's happening. People listening to this to this uh, podcast, please um, sign the petition, get the charter going. Let's get discussed in the Senate. Let's get things done. And if you are a Senate member, please, if the Senate's not doing anything, there's no point to it. And ultimately, people will start asking why we're paying you £70,000 a year to do nothing. Uh, we'll speak again. Uh, until then, forward to independence because it is time for independence. Thanks for listening to Radio Yes Cymru.
Yes. 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 Yes.